0: Howdy gang, you have found the Back Country and Barbells podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our partners at the Send Foundation. Um, support Send in many ways, mostly by checking out their website. Whether you have a couple bucks in your pocket, a wounded warrior who needs your help or their help, or you have some volunteer time that you can contribute to one of their various outdoor adventures, come. Um, Send, it, send, it, send a ticket their way. Contact us and we'll put you in contact with who you need to find in order to make that happen. We'd be happy to do so. Also, guys, check out PR Lifting, quality fitness gear. Uh, PR Lifting takes pride in personal passion for gear, excellent customer service, and most importantly, being the place in the Pacific Northwest neighborhood to get hooked up with what you need to achieve your next personal record. Guys, I know right now as the Army changes their P... T standard. My wife and I are looking at some gear, some hex bars, um, some other things like that. I know I'm swinging their kettlebells amongst, you know, I've been to a great gym up here in Olympia, uh, Fortis Sports USA, that um, is all outfitted um, with PR lifting gear. So check them out, guys. It's gear that lasts. It's gear that's going to keep you training, and it's gear that whether you own a uh, commercial space or you're looking to outfit your garage, you can do it. Check out their website, PRlifting.com, and also, guys, check out our website, backcountryandbarbells.com. Over at backcountrybarbells.com, you can find all the episodes um, from our uh, chats with Dirk Durham, uh, Jason Phelps, or even uh, some of the gang, uh, Trent Fisher from the Born and Raised Outdoor Crew. Um, I know everyone's gearing up for elk season, so lots of elk content there, along with the episodes where Jeremy and I hash out ways you can prepare for that. But also, guys, um, if you're in the elk crunch, looking how to get trained up, you can check out our homepage. Um, Scroll on down, check out the Base Camp Program. It's a it's a six week training program that will get you squared away. and also gives you tips on how to start your home gym setup. Today's episode, guys. Um, again, as we talk about the elk camp crunch, um, we were just on a great scouting trip at where we're going to be uh, uh, looking up tag some critters of our own. And uh, we brought the boys along. So at the top of the episode, we we talk about how you can bring your youngins. On a camping trip with you or a hunting trip, and then we get into some elk catching tactics. So, for your listening pleasure, guys, this is episode 20 of Backcountry and Barbells. Hopefully, guys, all the information uh, getting you ready to train, hunt, and live the best life possible. Until the next one, guys, please enjoy this one and take care. Howdy, gang, Backcountry and Barbells, Joe Shimonic, Jeremy Day. Another episode helping you to train, hunt, and live the best life possible. Hopefully we're that mark. If we're not, um, we need to know about it. So um, get on the horn, review the show, um, tell your buddies, but thanks for
1: tuning in today. Jeremy, what's going on, buddy? Uh, nothing much, man. Just another day here in paradise, the good old um, cloudy city of Seattle. Or yeah, Gig Harbor.
0: Yeah, it's it's rare that we get to talk to you when you, you, know, you travel so much. Um, so it's cool that you're actually in town. Um, and and while you're in town, um, we're all taking advantage of kind of um, I guess it's fun this weekend, you know, uh, we uh, we've been talking a lot on the show about a lot of things, and um, this weekend, we're actually gonna put a bunch of those um, discussions into actions as we take the boys. Um, we take some of our own critters out on a um a scouting trip. Slash hunting trip um, into into the area that we're going to be um, hopefully harvesting elk here uh, coming in September.
1: Yeah, no, man, I'm excited. Uh, the little ones are going to have a great time, and we're even going to sneak in some bear hunting. I think. Yeah, well, hopefully, and that's the thought, right? Like, you know, it'd be
0: cool. We, yeah, we want to get in and and find some elk sign and see if that's the right spot or whatnot. But you know, uh, bears on the menu. So if um if we can. If we can see one of those furry guys running around, I think that'd be fun. Um, I think that'd be a uh, that'd be a
1: game changer for the boys. Oh, yeah, man. It'd be a great experience for quite a few guys on the hunting because I don't think anybody's got a bear in the hunting crew except for me, I think. No, I think it would be neat. I was actually just watching a really cool series,
0: and and I suggest anyone check it out. Uh, um, Brian Call's gritty, uh, gritty Bowman stuff, he's got a really cool... A uh, four-parter on um, on a bear hunt that he did. I forget where he went, but um, him and his party. There were three of them in it, plus the cameraman, I believe. Um, they no, I think it was three. They they put down five.
1: That's impressive, man. Yeah, it
0: was. It was a. It, I would. It's a cool. It's a. Were it, they in Oregon? Uh, I don't think so. It was a pretty big country. Um,
1: uh, Might have been Northern Idaho or something. Yeah,
0: you know, I'm not exactly sure where they were, but check it out. It's um, uh, it's it's pretty impressive. They 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 do some work, and I guess they were um, they they were, you know, there's lots of ways you can do your camps, right? You know, you can you can uh, you can you can go big time and, and be in some kind of comfy cabin uh you can set up a base camp and then these guys um you know they had their little mobile setup and i i thought the only thing that was tough about watching them go through that and they all have their advantages and disadvantages but man every time they got an animal down they had to keep moving the meat with them too right so uh, (laughs) so it it, it was a lot of work what they were doing um they got a lot of animals down but it's a great series Uh, i would suggest anyone interested in bear hunting check that out now they were they were um going rifle so it's kind of a a spot and stalk deal which which they were getting into but it was pretty it was pretty cool man
1: that's awesome
0: how did you get your first bear
1: oh dude it's a funny story so me and my brother-in-law we went out um i drew a special tag in oregon at the time it was kind of special it was a high country cascade buck tag and when we're driving over there this was in 1999 and we were heading over to our hunt and I look at Tony, and I was like, you think we'll see a bear? And he he looks at me, and he goes, yeah, man, the only time we're going to see a bear if he's robbing our cooler. (laughs) Okay. So so we went and sighted my rifle in, and for some reason my rifle was off. The windage was perfect. The height was off 17 inches, and I couldn't get it to adjust. So, you know, we get out there, and we're hiking along, and I – we're on this trail heading up to the timber and I look in front of us and about a hundred yards is this big black bear. He was about 400, four, 450 pounds. And he's licking ants out of a tree. And I go to Tony, I go, it's an effing black bear. And he looks at me and he goes, well, effing shoot it. (laughs) So I, I, you know, I line my sights up and then I drop 17 inches and I hit, hit him and he's, Takes off running, and he gets he goes about I, I don't know it was it was twenty seconds or so, and then all of a sudden he just goes, Whoa! Mm. and I look at Tony and I go, man, I'm pretty sure I hit him, and he looks at me and he, again and he says, well, I don't think he's yelling for nothing. And so we get over there and, um, we're looking all over and this is a steep canyon where we're at that, you know, he could dump over into this. So we're looking over this canyon and we're like going, Oh shit, this is going to be brutal. And then I happened to look over and about 40 yards to our, to the north or to the West was, a um, this big, big black spot. So I walk over there and sure enough, I, um, double lunged him and he only went about 80 yards and piled up and then it was work because we were a mile and a half in, it was 90 degrees mm. and we're trying to figure out, and this was, um, this is a early, I think it's an early, se- no, it was uh I think it was a September and October hunt. Anyway, it was just a hot, hot day. So we're trying to figure out how we're going to pack them back to camp, kind of wanted to keep the skin on them to, you know, not, at the time we were kind of young hunters and, um wanted to keep the skin on and drag him back to camp. So we tried picking him up. We tried, you know, all this stuff and we couldn't even budge him. So finally we just tied his legs together, put a big old three inch, um, round, uh, log in between his legs. And we would pack our stuff a hundred feet, all of our gear, and then go back and grab the bear and then drag oh him 100 feet. about a hundred yards. And then we just back and forth until we finally got to camp. But yeah, man, we took it in and, uh, to the butcher and the butcher said it was the biggest black bear I'd ever seen come in his butcher shop so, so
0: having gone through a couple uh quarterings of some elk since that hunt I mean would you do things a little differently
1: yeah, yeah i would have quartered them up and and got the and let them air out you know yeah to cool down my our thought was was that if it was so blistering hot and we're in the wide open that we would you know the meat would burn but i mean that's just when you're young in your youth and just yeah, figuring things I, out. I guess, Not harvesting a lot of animals. I guess now the conventional
0: wisdom is um you know, I guess when you're in that hot situation, you, you know, there's a couple I mean, I guess when you're you're breaking down a big critter, you mean um there's the gutless method, you can quarter it up and I think that I think the 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 advantageous side of um of actually going full hog and, and, and gutting that critter is getting the getting the internal organs away from away from the meat
1: so it can cool down. I was actually watching. Oh, we definitely gutted yeah. it. I mean, that, yeah. that's the first thing you always yeah. do, but we didn't quarter it up and get the hide off of it, and that's what we should have done.
0: Yeah, I was watching. Um, I was actually watching an old episode of uh, Randy Newberg uh, doing a, a gutless method on, a, on an elk, and it was pretty cool the way he uh, pretty meticulously breaks everything down, even in uh, pulling the rib meat. He actually, even his method of going through it, which is pretty extensive, it's a cool video as well. um you know, you could even pull the heart and the liver out and all that good stuff so uh you know there's all there's all types of ways to do things um it'd be cool it'd be cool to it'd be cool to get into a bear and do that. I was actually talking with some folks last night as we were doing a little play date with the girls, and they were like, Well, why would you want to kill a bear? I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I,
1: I, what do you mean? Conservation. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: why. Yeah. You know, whether it's conservation, whether you're helping little elkies, um, and deer, um, you know, predators, you know, I'll be honest as, as we've been scouting the last two years and, and on elk and deer, um, the most sign I'm seeing is bear sign out here. I mean, there's a ton, so it seems like they're doing really well. It's just we haven't, I haven't seen a bear. It would be really cool to get into him. Um, what's our best chances if we do run into a bear as we're, you know, in our little elk spot, elk spot stalking? Um, uh, we'll have some archery gear. I guess we'll be bringing that to just sight in some things. But, um, you know, what's our best
1: bet? Well, we're going to um, glass the hillsides up on the high country. So we'll go to the peaks because there's a lot of huckleberries. The huckleberries are in, in season in the and the blackberries are coming in too. So we're just going to find those blackberry patches and huckleberries and you got to watch early morning and late at night. And then they bed down basically through the day in the, in the timber, which we're not going to do any kind of timber hunting with the kids, but we'll just kind of spot and stock really is the name of the game. I'm going to use my rifle this time just so um, just cause having the kiddos and a few new hunters, the, Spot in stock with the bear is kind of a one man deal, in my opinion. Maybe sure. you know you can get a couple guys, but um, yeah. So that's going to be kind of our method this time.
0: So you know, we'll rely a lot on luck because we'll have a we'll have the band of eight of us, four of them, yeah. be, four of them being, <laughs> you know, maniac little boys, um, which is going to be awesome because you know we've also talked a lot about getting kids out in the woods and and making them part of it. You know. And I think that that's super important you know hunting hunting's really interesting and i keep I keep going back to our earlier conversation with Dennis Dunn and thinking about some of the stuff that he was saying and even even from a political aspect where some folks might hear a word like libertarian or or you hear um you hear discussion of guns and you can some folks just want to pucker up right away um but you know if you want to keep something like hunting going and if you want to preserve um particular amendments like the second one things like hunting and and exposing your kiddos to things i think and and teaching them to respect things and respect nature and respect um firearms um is super important and we're going to be doing
1: some of that this weekend and i'm I'm excited for it yeah me too man it'll be it'll be a lot of a lot of fun i'll be bringing the 22 pistol and 22 rifle and Little few high powered ones too, so that everybody can kind of dink around and um, shoot them, kind of get some respect of them, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be a blast.
0: Yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. Um, and, but I won't lie to you. I won't lie to you. I was on the fence about bringing my son. Um, I was, you know, it's been a, I've had a lot of family time this summer, <laughs> and, oh. and and you can you can imagine you can ima- and i can imagine the dilemma right where you're caught in it where it's like right. you know hunting's my thing hunting's a place where i can get away but then you're still caught in this idea of you still want to share it and bring some folks you bring bring your kiddos along and and do things that are special with them but um i'm i'll tell you what was the um the a couple things that really uh really pushed me to bring Mason out on this this trip was one you guys um, or I'll bring in your boys, but two uh, Mason, finally, I started talking to him about, and he's like, and we've been watching things and he's been watching me practice calls. And, um, you know, they see the bow in the garage and, and the work that we're putting in and training and stuff. And he goes, he, he said, dad, I want to, I want to go hunting. It was cool. He, he, that's awesome. He came to me and it's the second time. It's the second time he's come to me and said, he's wanted to do something. The first time was, uh, the first time was baseball, and baseball season went really well. And then um, this one was cool. So uh, he's excited about the camping. He's excited to do real camping, not not grandma grandpa camping. They got like a pop up camper, and they oh go, right they go to the sites. You know what I mean? Where they uh they where they pack in like tuna cans next to other campsites. But, right, exactly. Uh, they they do that, and um, they've done that with those guys. But uh, I was like, this is gonna be real camping. We're gonna be in the tent. We're gonna be in the woods. Um, Out in the
1: middle of nowhere, room, no yeah. bathrooms, no yeah, shower. Yeah,
0: he, that's what he asked me. He goes, okay, well, as long as there's a bathroom. I said, well, there's not.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, you got to squat, brother. <laughs> yeah. So he
0: goes, what do you mean? I was like, well, that's what I mean. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, so he was like, well, I think I can hold it. I was like, oh, yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> Good luck with that, brother. So, so <laughs> we'll see. So
0: so this will be actually my first um, big camping trip with a with a young kiddo. So um. Walk me through it, man. What can I expect? Having a young one with me.
1: Oh, man, it's just, it, it's a, it'll be just a walk in the park. I mean, it's it's funny because you think, oh, I'm not going to have all these amenities that the, you know that you have at home, like a toilet and all this other stuff. But when you get out there and you got to go, you just, you got to go and you, do, and you do your business. And it's, I, I don't, I think it's a lot funner and easier, honestly. Are you talking so, about life in general, or you're using the restroom, sir? I'm talking about the restroom, but <laughs> no, <I> was...
0: <laughs> oh, you were talking about
1: life. Yeah, no, I was just
0: talking about the camping trip in general. I mean, not not just I, I've I've been in the woods enough to to, you know, to use a shovel and, and get a good squat going. I think Mason will be fine there, but you know, just you know, for because there is there are some listeners I'd imagine who would be reluctant participants in taking you know an eight year old or younger or you know, their first young kiddo on a, on a camping slash hunting slash scouting trip. So I guess, you know, as a guy who's done it before, you know, what are some fears or concerns or, um, things you can alleviate with taking a young kid in the
1: the woods with you? Okay. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So a lot of times it's when you, you're ready to go to bed is when the real fear starts to kick in, right? Because you're in this tent, it's wide open, you can hear everything. Mm. Um, the wind's hitting it and kids' imaginations just start going pretty wild. So, you just, I mean, the main thing is just to keep them comforted and just say, hey, I'm here. There's nothing going to happen. A lot of times it's the big question, especially when you're out bear hunting, is is the bear going to come into camp and get us? Sure. You know, and and so those things start to get to them. And it's like, then you educate them. You know, bears are more fearful than us. You know, um, they're going to, if they smell us, they're gone. They're not going to come into a a camp. And then I usually will lead into a story about, you know, when I get an animal down or something, I'll, I'll throw my sweaty shirt over the top of it because just that sweaty shirt will keep the predators off the cougars and the bears and all that stuff. And just kind of explain to them how our human scent is more powerful at keeping them away as a repellent than, um, basically anything else. So very cool. And, And let them know the only time that a bear is going to really attack is if you startle them and you're um and then they're going to kind of square up with you in Russia but I always tell them to don't worry because I got two bears on my wall and both of them tried to come after me and I wrestled them down
0: there you go there you go no i
1: love so it so that you, you just got to let them know that you you know you're there to protect them and also that nothing really is going to happen in a worst-case scenario. And then you don't put them in that situation, right? Because like I just said earlier, we're not going to get into the timber and hunt bears. Yes. Because that's when the kids' minds, you know, start going crazy. But And then they just got to get the experience. And after a while, they start to calm down. And then, you know, they'll go to bed. And But I think that's the biggest thing because everything else is just so much fun. You just keep them engaged. You, I know, we'll bring a football, a frisbee, bocce ball, Um, the bow and arrow and so he'll get to shoot yeah you know we'll have the kids shoot and then um, we go driving around and look at cool stuff and then show them the wallows and you show them rubs and you just show them all those things that you know that we're scouting and why we're scouting them and explain to them why the elk and um use particular things and why they rub and same thing with deer and we'll we'll see we should see quite a few deer and elk so that, that always excites them too
0: no it'll be great um it'll it'll be interesting. I love that opening It's cool that you that preemptive strike about you know it'll be cool until it gets dark. that makes a ton of sense um but no, i I think it'll be i think it'll be a ton of fun i we're We're reading a book right now that may not help uh, Mason loves these i survived books. Uh-huh. And, you know, I survived Gettysburg. I survived Nazi Germany. I survived, you know, the Twin Tower attacks. There's It's a cool series that will walk a kid through, like, historic events. There's even a I Survived um, the Mount St. Helens blast, which was a pretty cool one. Um, but we actually just started last night the I Survived the 1967 grizzly attack.
1: So oh, man. It's a it's a story about
0: some kids who um, – who encounters some grizzlies in uh, Glacier National Park. So uh, um, the opening chapter actually is the grizzly attack. And then, you know, these books all have a, a theme where it starts with the kiddo getting in trouble and then it walks you back to then teach, you know, it draws you in with the exciting scene and then right. it draws you back in. Um, so we read the bear attack scene last night and then Mason and Charlie, were, Charlie you know, she's my middle girl and she was just like, Daddy, are there grizzlies where you're going on Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no. I, I told her, I was like, no, it's black bears, and they're a little bit more skittish, and, and they're smaller, and they spook easier. But And I told her the same thing that you said, you know, from from what I understand is the, the time that bears attack is when you surprise them. And yeah. um, you know, and, and that's... I don't know. I mean, if you, I almost would think if you live in New Jersey, you're going to be more likely to surprise a bear than you would out here. You know, even oh, when you're, even when you're trying to find them, right? So, so that's an interesting thing. But, uh, but um, who knows? But it'll be great, man. I mean, I'm I'm really excited to share this with the boy. And, um, and as 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 reluctant or hard as it may or may not be to do that, um, I would be excited that if he really takes to it because, um, I I see it. I see it. You like said I've mentioned on the show. I see this being something I share with the kids. Um, and um, as he gets older, as the as the girls get older, it'd be cool to have actual um, partners out there that that can contribute to it. Not not, but but even from your point of view, are you ever are you ever not teaching someone when you're out in the woods?
1: No, I'm always teaching someone. I always have somebody with me. That's yeah. kind of been you know, like I've always said, I just love teaching people and getting people out there. So most of the time the guys are new or, um, and even with the guys that have been hunting with me for six, seven years, there's always something to learn. I mean, I'm constantly learning as well, but I try to pit, you know, at first I dump a lot of information on the person like, you know, like last year to you. And, and then, then I kind of let you just do your thing. and But as you notice, I kind of do all the um, – I'm always the first one out there. Just to try to help navigate through the woods. And then sometimes I just say, hey, go for it. Yeah, And then um, that's probably – when it goes for me teaching, that's probably one of the hardest things for me is letting go of that part of navigation. Being because – yeah, because some guys just – you don't know where they're going to take you and, oh, yeah. you, and, and I, I don't know if I, if I did it to you, but I've done it to the other guys, but we'd be walking in the woods and I'll whistle and I'll point another direction. Sure. <laughs> so, cause it's like, Hey, you're going into some real You got to kind of look ahead of where you're going and Sometimes when you're new and you're just you're the guy in front, you're gonna take us into real thick, nasty stuff. And I've already been in a lot of that thick, nasty stuff, so <laughs> I'm like, uh, go this way. <laughs>
0: well, I experienced that. You know, we were we we hunted we hunted the elk camp last year, and then blacktail, and then I went out and did a solo late season deer, um, and I kept doing that. I kept walking myself into some thick, nasty stuff, but you know, you, you live and learn, right. And and that's, that's the way you do it. I'd imagine it would be the same as I start getting confident enough to, to get my boy out there and teaching him some things. So,
1: but, um, so yeah. And, and so, you know, there's still like me, I'll, I'll take my daughter and my sons on the rifle during the rifle seasons and we'll go out and hunt the archery time is kind of my time and you know you talk about that you know kind of getting away from the family but that's archery season for me but now that my oldest son's older and and he can join camp and he's going to be old enough to kind of carry the weight in a lack of better terms as far as if you get an elk down being out there for long days high endurance so the the Best time to take your kids out, in my opinion, are like these bear hunts where you're doing a little bit of road hunting and glassing, spotting, and stalking because they can sit there and throw rocks and take sticks and smack you upside the head and try to sword fight you while you're trying to scout. But um, And then the rifle season for deer is a good one. Elk hunting, I think it's kids, once they get 13 to 16, that's a good time for that. That's my personal opinion. Some sure. people like to get their kids out there earlier on the elk hunt.
0: But well, um, I look
1: at elk. I look at elk as like a business trip.
0: Like even like I remember last year hunting with you guys. You know you're you're going to turkey camp to have to have fun, right? I, yeah. And I thought of that. You know, you bring a cooler, you have a good time back when you get to camp, and it's a good time. But I remember coming to elk camp. I didn't. You know, there were no. I did not bring an adult beverage. I was just I'm here. I'm ready because to me, elk camp reminds me of football camp, and that that's why. And because it, it's just such a, and and I think the way it went down last year, just getting getting to feel that pack out, um, confirmed that for me. So that's the one thing too that I was also thinking, like, man, you know, the country's pretty tough, um, the animals are pretty tough, the pack out's pretty tough. I mean, uh, there's nothing easy about elk camp. So that's one reason I was a bit of a, re, you know, reluctant participant and in including and Including the boy a little bit, but you know, this idea of bringing him on the scouting trip to see the terrain because we're going to be tackling it a little bit differently, I think is, I think it's cool, man. Um, I, I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that you guys are all bringing your boys. I'm glad we all decided to do it. I think it'll be, I think it'll be a great time, man.
1: I, I agree. Cool. And the kids will have a blast.
0: Well, and if they don't, they're stuck out there and they have to get through it anyway, right? So That's it, we'll man. Titus
1: it. is always, he's, he's a little. <laughs> nervous at first and like he's even nervous now dad i'm what what about this what about that and i'm like i'm here to protect you son that's my job yep that's so it. and i'm and i'm gonna do it to the end so he goes well what if what if something happens and the bear does attack us i said you take off running and i'll wrestle the bear <laughs> it will work it out <laughs>
0: very cool well with that in mind though it's not just a the, the main objective is is scouting um the area to to just you know it it familiarize yourself with the area which is a, a spot that you've hunted before and 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 mm-hmm. and look for some some elk signs. so uh again let, before we let's let's we'll transition into the elk, elk topic which I think would be cool let's let's say you're more of a guy in my shoes you're still pretty new um to elk uh maybe you haven't picked up um a mentor like yourself who is going to be kind of walking into a spot and teaching a couple of things, but you are still someone who's on a, on a limited time budget. You know, this idea of, of e-scouting seems to be a pretty big one where you can, you can look at a unit and you can kind of proactively with things like on X and, and other, other, um, technology actually do a lot of pre-scouting and actually, um, get spots and, and do a lot of the legwork that we're going to ultimately do this weekend for a front standpoint, but you can do it from, from your screen. Uh, do you have any things that we should be looking for before we even go out there um, or tips to kind of utilize Google earth and, and on X to, to kind of um, to kind of focus your attention when you are going on a scouting or hunting trip?
1: Yeah. So basically what I will do is um, pick a unit, and then um, I try to talk to people as much as I can. A lot of the units that I find, I've I've talked to people and they say, "Hey, man, I hunt this during the rifle season. This this and that." Or, "Hey, I have a cousin that's real successful over there in the archery season, and they're in this area, and blah blah blah." So I kind of try to pick people's minds, you know, over the course of the year. And then as as I look for a, a specific area and where I'm going to either camp out or hike into and and to hunt what I always look for are heavy timbered north facing slopes that some of them will fo- face east and some of those north slopes will face um, west I try to find an area where you have a ridge system that's going east and west and then you have fingers going off in the north and then there's kind of like a big uh what would it be, like a little goalie or a valley that's facing north that has east-facing slopes and west-facing slopes, and they're heavily timbered. And then on the south-facing slope, it's open terrain, because what I've found over the years is a lot of the elk come up on the south, they'll eat, and then they'll go bed down on the north. So I look for those little pockets, and then you can kind of just think of it as a U-shape that's facing north and northwest and uh, north west and northeast, and so i look for those kind of pockets and then i look for okay how am i going to get there now and so i follow those ridge systems to see if there's a, a trailhead a road or some way to access it sometimes you don't have either one so then um you're going okay well once i get there i'm gonna have to just dump in the woods and and, and get it done and then so after i find those kinds of slopes and areas in the high country, then what I'll do, if I can, I'll take one day and I'll drive out there to make sure that I can actually get into that area in that specific point. Because especially in our our neck of the woods, they're all old logging old timber roads. And sometimes on the map, it shows that it's accessible, but it's not. So you get there, and, um, say it's going to add another two or three hours to your hike. Well, you want to know that because a lot of times you're getting there on a Friday and the opener's on a Saturday. And the last thing you want to do is have to do a last minute audible. Sure. So, um, yeah, so I'll get in there and I'll look and then I'll get out of the truck and I'll hike in a little bit and then I'll get out. And I'm, I'm not a big get in the timber and poke around kind of guy. I kind of save that for the hunting Season because I don't want to sit there and bump, bump elk, leave my scent, and I just um, I, and plus I like exploring, so I don't want to do my exploring on my scouting trips. I kind of like to save that for the hunting days. I hear you. So so it sounds like a north facing slope is you know you can start to look at north
0: facing slopes with some thick pockets. Uh, when when you start to also when when you are looking at those spots is there any is there any attention given to um, distance to roads or or um, other folks being in there or, or do you um, do you focus more just on what you want to do and hope no one shows up
1: no that's a great question Joe that's a really good question so what I'll do is I'll look at it. so say it's a unit and there's a lot of um, there's a whole lot of trail systems and roads you know, surrounding this unit, or the trail systems are going through the unit. I will, I will actually look at the ugliest, nastiest spot, which is going to be in the creek bottom of those, um, of those areas, and I try to find the center point. If that makes sense, so there's all the the trail systems are circling around you, and they're they're usually on the ridge ridges, or they're traversing up uh, um, the mountain to get there. But the idea is to look on there and see. okay, here's a thick pocket of timber in a creek bed that looks like it has water year-round, and um, what I'll do is I'll try to get there by 9 o'clock in the morning. So basically, I'm not hunting with everybody else on those road systems or trail systems. What I'm doing is trying to get my way down to that ugliest, nastiest hole, and then I'll wait there. Because what happens is everybody's pushing these elk, like and they're kind of like a... Uh, what is it? Um, they're doing like a push hunt in lack of better terms without really doing a push hunt because they're all taking the path of least resistance and and just walking the ridges and look, you know, glassing and all that other stuff. So they're pushing these elk. Their scent is all pushing it down into this one spot. And I've found that, you know, very advantageous and have gotten into a lot of elk doing it that way. And I don't know why I figured out that that nine o'clock time frame is just a magic magic number that they, they get down there. One time I got down and I was sitting there and I, this was over in the Mill Creek wilderness over in Oregon. And I got down at nine o'clock and I, no joke, I sit there, this is probably 915 and I smell elk and I look down and all I see is antlers, antlers, antlers. Mm. And then I ran after and got down there. And anyway, I'm running up in ridges and down ridges and there was 150 head of elk. And they were all down at the spot where I picked. Big old herd. And they were, Yeah, huge herd. There was like, you know, and I'm flock counting or, you know, herd counting. So I think there was, I counted 37 bulls. Goodness. Yeah, and this was This was opening day. And I believe it was August 28th, uh, 19 or 2008 or 2009. Was that down in Oregon? Yeah, that was down in Oregon, the Mill Creek Wilderness. Very cool. And so that's why I try to hunt, you know, if I can at wilderness units. And that's a lot of times they have trail systems all over the place. And then I pick that deep, nasty hole.
0: Well, I've heard, I've heard folks talk about that nine o'clock time being a, a good way to go because, um, you know, when you're catching them early, early, you know, you know, early bird gets to worm all that stuff and that, that, you know, pre sun hunt, but in the morning, uh, you know you're catching the elk in a bit of a transition where they're getting where they're going. but I'd imagine by that nine o'clock hour, you know that's where they' they're bedded up. That's where their little harem is and that's probably if you're going to be using calling tactics, um, especially if you're going to be trying to mimic other male elk would probably be a good a good a good time to use that because you're essentially walking into their kitchen. Right. I mean, that, yeah, absolutely. That, that's been their that's been their bedding ground that they've probably established for that day. And then if you come in there and get get aggressive with them, I'd imagine that 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 those bulls will have no no other option but to to defend it. Right.
1: Right. And and it's a safe zone. Right. Yeah. So they're all going to meet up at the safe zone and they're going to take off. I mean, when you go out and and you're with a big party of people and you go to some big event, you say. Okay, let's meet here at ten o'clock. Everybody meet here at ten o'clock. Or even when you're doing push hunts or you're out solo hunting, you say, okay, everybody meet here at ten o'clock. Yeah. That's the safe zone. That's where you're gonna group up and then you process out to wherever you're gonna go. That's what you got to look for is that safe zone for an elk. Get there and then surprise them when they show up. And and it and it's really effective in the very early season because that's you know, the first couple opening day, the first three days of the opener is when that's most effective because they haven't been pushed much. I mean, they hear all the vehicles, they hear all the people hooting, hollering, everybody's all hyped up for hunting and the road systems are busy. So then they get a little deeper in the woods and then the trail systems start to get busy and then they go to that safe zone. And then from there, they, they've got a route that they're going to take. And these guys just side-hilled in the wide open and kept going and going until the until they went down to the private land, and that's what they were doing. they all processed down to the private land
0: mm.
1: okay, well, fired up well I think that I think that you know
0: figuring out that transition so now are there different are are elk like us in the sense that those transitions or their migratory paths or whatnot I mean, do they essentially look for the path of least resistance? I mean that's why I imagine those old. The, an old skid road or an old logging road is, is probably a great spot for them to travel along with the clear cuts.
1: Yeah, they they'll, they'll definitely find those ones, but in the timber, there's always big trail systems, especially on the, on the coastal ranges. Now in the um, Rocky mountain regions, which that was a Rocky mountain area for Rocky mountain elk. Um, and the Ochoco units, it's they pattern a little different so they don't have a specific trail a lot of times that they take but they have zones or paths that they take or areas that they kind of funnel through but on the rock on on the on the Roosevelt elk side of the world it's it's a little different because they can they'll go all over I mean they're hidden no matter what well, yeah I mean and they're they're
0: in some thicker and nastier stuff
1: so that's what I wanted to get into a little bit but you
0: know Talking to you and listening to some folks, there's even a, a slight distinction distinction amongst these um, Roosevelts that are coastal versus Roosevelts that are in the Cascades, um, mm-hmm. which, which we're going to be attacking. So, what are what are some of those? Are there have you noticed a difference between the
1: two? Um, yeah, there. It's not much difference. Um, the biggest thing. That I've noticed is that the herds in the Cascades will get a little bigger than the herds say on the coastal range because okay. the bull will get, and the Cascade ones don't seem to me as territorial as the coastal ones. So um, the coastal ones, you know, they'll stay in a drainage or two drainages. Where the Cascade elk will, they'll they'll jump ridge systems to ridge systems, and they're they're not as um, territorial, but. I think that's the biggest difference, so besides the, the terrain. The terrain's somewhat similar, but it's it's the same but different, right? So you're saying it's that, still thick and nasty, but it's just, just different kind of thick and nasty.
0: So the coastal elk are, they're just a little bit more territorial and they're a little bit more aggressive in in protecting that. So I guess in, in yeah in that in that sense, that's good and bad. For one, you got to find the spot where they are, and then but it's um it's good in the sense that once you find them. You you probably have a high likelihood of success. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. No, that's interesting. So, um, what are we looking for this weekend as we scout this and get into a little bit of it? You mentioned things like water sources and transition zones, but you know what are you know how do we know that it's a good sign and that this is a bull or or elk or or an area that we want to pursue? What, what are some um, Elky sign things that uh, we can look for um, that would be important to kind of um, put as a waypoint or, or something. that would say this is this is the spot that we definitely want to get into this year.
1: So you kind of talked about the path of least least resistance. If an elk takes that, so on the road systems, be albeit a uh, old skid road that is undrivable, You could bur- and, and it's just only walkable. And even on the main road systems, what we're doing is we're going to be driving around quite a bit and we'll be looking for rubs and we'll be – because a lot of the alders over here, they love rubbing the alders. And so the alders have a tendency to um, grow on the road systems. Just right off of the road. So we'll be driving down and you'll look over and you'll see a bunch of rubs. So we'll get out. We'll take a look at these rubs. You'll notice that it's year over year that they've been rubbing in there. So that's a good indication that there's um, a strong herd that has gone in there, has pushed through there year over year. And that's kind of their hangout area or lack of better terms or it could be rutting area or pre-rut area or what have you but there's definitely elk marking and trying to log their territory so you look for those rubs um another thing to look for is water right you want to look for the water sources so we'll look at that and also when you're dealing with the coastal range and the cascade range we have clear cuts right that's the main um that's the logging industry does a good job of going in and cutting that timber down and um, leaving behind an area with no timber. So, with that, you're looking for new clear cuts, um, older clear cuts, and um, you know those reprods that are in between three and twelve years old. Sometimes, you know, one year it's easy to hunt, and the next year it's just so overgrown. So, we're looking for all those kinds of things where the elk might be um, holding up or Uh, marking territory or just kind of going through and a lot of times that you'll see the hoof prints on the road because they'll take the road as a travel corridor to get to areas quicker
0: well i'm glad you brought up water because water seems to be this will sound stupid i hope it doesn't but of utmost importance to elk i mean they're they're a big animal they need to water pretty regularly as opposed to some other um smaller hoofed critters so uh attacking those water sources is is a is a big deal um is there anything in particular about a water source that might be more attractive than others because you know that's what i notice here in the pacific northwest i mean there's water everywhere i mean we get a lot of rain um but you know how how can you recognize one watering source from another and, and, and what an elk might be looking for at it
1: the terrain. So you've got steep hillsides. No In most creek drainages you're going to have where it's super steep, there's huge embankments. So you want to look for areas that are kind of flat so that they can come down. And elk want to be comfortable when they eat and when they drink, right? So they're going to come down. They're going to usually try to pick a spot where it's flat and they can keep their eyes open as well and keep, look out for predators. Hmm. So they're going to look for more open areas. And, and this is just my personal opinion. And this is where I see a lot of the travel corridors or where you could see where they're crossing the creeks and, that's, and such. So, yeah, basically just kind of more flat areas in these drainages. They're not going to be drinking where their butt is above their head. Okay. You know what I'm saying? In, in, the, in, in a level plane. Okay. Right. They're not going to have, you know, it'd be like us bending over and sticking our rear so far in the air and trying to drink by our toes. They're not going to do that. I mean, they're, they they want to drop their head, but they don't want to have their butt way in the air and their head down. So where they're almost in a vertical plane drinking water. Sure. No, I hear you. That makes sense. Cause they want to,
0: they want to keep their awareness out. Right. So I
1: guess. Yeah. Cause where- their eyes are on the side of their head. I mean, so they're, I mean, they're not in front of their head. So, when they go down to drink, they, they they have a harder time looking up, right? And they're only looking to the left and right. So they want to keep their, their vantage point up. Makes sense. Um, yeah.
0: So, I mean, I guess, it, are they always looking for water in the bottom? Or um, is, is, is an elevated water source something that might also be optimal for them? Like on one of these benches you're talking about?
1: The benches are where it's at. I mean, if you can hunt a bench... You know, in this pre-season when we'll be hunting and or, you know, we'll be hunting September 7th. So they'll be in the pre-rut. And a lot of times what you'll find is a lot of the bigger elk are walking the ridge systems. So they don't want to have to dump all the way down, you know, 1800 feet or whatever, a thousand feet to get water. They will. But if they have a water source that's close to the tip of that mountain, that's where you're going to find them a lot of times is hanging out there. Um, during the day and because at night they're walking the ridge systems and they're locating and and um, they're looking for cows they're listening and they're just uh, spending most of their time on the ridges
0: cool and so so we're a talk- little bit about location and, and now you know you, you bring up kind of pre-rut and them trying to locate folks and uh, early on in the rut you know they are beginning to communicate a bit but you know with with cows not being in full estrus and, and the rut not being fully on, um, I'd imagine their communication is, is a little bit different. What, what have you noticed uh, communication-wise um, among the elk that you've seen in this kind of early rut action that's something that could be useful when guys are considering a calling strategy um, if, if they do want to get out and communicate with elk um, during during... You know, pre-rut or, or rut conditions.
1: Well, in that first, you know, the end of August, where a lot of places are opening up, and that first, uh, they're doing a lot of location bugles, is what I found. So they'll just, you know, it's just a real quick, Eel! and then you'll hear maybe one or two elk, and usually they only do one. They'll they only call one time, and then all they're doing is like, I'm here. Where are you? And then here's a response and here's another response and then they go back to business and then um, basically it turns into a spot and stock game. Um, you could wait, you know, take you an hour or two hours to get there and do another location and sometimes they'll respond back. So that's what I found that it's easier. It's, sometimes you find those bulls that are super aggressive and they're ready to go. As, say maybe they got, their, and it's usually a satellite bull that's been kicked out of the herd from mm. another, a bigger satellite bull. Um, so, cause what i found is that the herd bulls usually don't come down and start kicking the satellites out until around that mid-September mark, and then they'll kick the satellites out. They don't want to waste their time with girls who ain't ready to party. Heck no, man. Why exert the energy, right? <laughs> That's right. It's a, you know, it's a, you know,
0: you think of elk and you think of people. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stake for everything that they do. I mean, you think about, I was thinking about, you know, the resources that I'll put to use to just get a good training session in sometimes. I mean, when I first got to Washington, I was, you know, going up the road into Olympia to train with this guy, Rob Arroyo, who, you know, is like this 50-year-old world champion. He's an unbelievable guy, but I was just thinking, and I'll get to my point in a moment, but like what it cost me to go to those training sessions in terms of, you know, wanting to be fueled for it, wanting to be in shape for it, wanting to get the kids, um, gets, get coverage for it, having to communicate with my wife. Like it was a costly investment for me to go do things like that. And it still is even training in the garage. And it's the same thing for elk. I mean, everything that they do, um, comes at a cost. I mean, when you think of like the, the resources that they have to use personally to even just grow antlers, um, everything how big they are and, and to go water to go water i mean it, everything comes at a cost to these guys so it's no wonder that they're they're so skittish and so tough but it's also crazy to me that they can say for like a month out of the year screw it because we got to get to it right um i mean it's just wild how how their instincts can kind of take over they're, they're just such a cool animal man um no
1: oh, they're fun yeah you just
0: marvel at them in that sense that you know even though you know a lot of this has to do with trying to, I imagine scouting wise or trying to figure out what they're doing is, for one, this cat and mouse game where you're trying to find the resources that they need, but they're trying to ultimately conserve and keep their own resources um, at a at a at a distance that um, that they can manage, but also not overutilize their own personal resources. Right? So. Um,
1: it's it's a neat thing, man. They're neat animals. Oh, they're they're phenomenal, and they're a lot of fun. And yeah, they're going to conserve as much energy as they can because once that estrus cycle kicks in, those guys are fighting. They're, I mean, they're exerting a lot of energy. They're going to lose a lot of that body fat, and so that's why the bigger bulls i I think are out just hanging out, getting fattened up to because they're going to they're going to get to business, and they have a short window, a two three week window. Well, it's I think it's about a month, but. Um, there's only that one section that's a peak where they, you know, they're going to be breeding a lot within a week and a half, two weeks.
0: Yeah. So, so as we get into, you you, you talked about a location bugle. I mean, I've spent, I've spent um, a good bit of time this year kind of tinkering with calls. I was talking to you guys about how I would, would use one as a whistle at school, and a lot of my attention has been focused on just making cow noises and. Um, coming across a couple resources, it seems like once you can utilize the cow noises, then you can take that information and then add some inflection and certain things to make your your bugle noises. So, um, right, I'm gonna put myself out there. I got I got one of my calls here, Jeremy. I'm, I'm, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I want I want to uh, I'm gonna let's start off the basics. I'm gonna make a couple cow calls and and give me. You know, co- coach me up a little bit. You know, as hey. we we're going, I would I would really like to be. I I did notice in camp as as the guy who last year I felt for you because you were the guy who was calling all the time. So I was like, yeah, I want to put a couple skills together. So maybe I, I could take a little pressure off of Jeremy. So I've been working. So you tell me. All right. You tell me if you think I'm ready. So I, I'm going to do just a. Um, let me uh, let me bust out just a, a regular cow. Let me do that, let me see, yeah, absolutely,
1: right please okay. do. Here we go, okay, what do you think? How are we doing? You're doing good. You've got basically the right tones, but at the very beginning, you have there's it it's not cutting off smooth, so you kind of have like that when you start. So you got to soften your tongue a little bit and relax the tip of your tongue, the back of your tongue, and use a little bit more of the the, the front of your tongue because it should be a smooth. And here I'll do. There you go.
0: So it's it's less it's less pressure from air, and you're just you just kind of. Um... The, the air stays consistent, but you're just kind of letting that tongue off is what you're saying.
1: Right. And it sounds like to me like you're building up the air pressure and then you're releasing the the cow call and it's going. Ew! It's yeah. like, oh, there's a because you're you're not letting the tongue come off soft here. I'll do a few just Go for a it. Little, little call in here. So what you might be doing is your tongue might be too flat and you got to kind of cup it a little bit mm. like and then that will allow the air to come through and um, do its thing.
0: Cool. And I think what's fun with it's it's so fun to to tinker with these calls and, and make some of these noises. Um, I, and I've looked at a couple of resources and uh, one of the reasons we interviewed Dirk um Dirk at the beginning of this little podcast experiment was because I found his stuff to be even most useful. So, um, what I ended up trying to do is what I'm really trying to do is what, what he says is just that, get that high pitch and then just let it off. So where that kind of started from was, uh, was that kind of what he would say, that mosquito noise, if that makes sense. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. And what I would do is start that mosquito noise off low and a lower pitch and then get it to high and I'll, I'll demonstrate it real quick if I put the reed in my mouth oh, yeah, correctly go for it. and then what you do and what you're doing is you're training your tongue to do those high pitch, low pitch, high pitch, low pitch mm. And just training it to not be so, because this is a lot of people like kind of like how you're doing. I'll kind of demonstrate. I'll go.
0: <coughs> <coughs>
1: <coughs> it's kind of uh, not getting that tongue cupped and doing right because you you really wanted to. <coughs> All
0: right, well, let me let me see if I can uh, let me see if I can go high to low. Yes. It,
1: try not to blow so much air it's just a real light l- release of air that's what it sounds like you're trying to bank up too much like you're
0: okay so
1: just so just nice and easy just act natural i hear you act natural brother and <laughs> yeah, now do the cow call
0: way better. All right, we're working on it. So that that's yep. the basics. So we got we got that kind of um
1: we're working on making noises. That that's the big thing. It, it's a, <laughs> That's it. It's a it, it takes it can take some guys will get it down in a year. A lot yeah. of guys that were ex-band members that were in a um a brass bands or something, they pick on it pick up on it really quick cuz they have to use their voice inflection to
0: oh, yeah. to do
1: that. I, me, it took me several years, man. I was like the biggest it is like skateboarding. It took me three to five years before I was worth the crap. And that's – it took me five years to figure out how to do a, a read. I mean – and I'm still not perfect. I mean it, – it, it, well, it's it's so. in, If you've never
0: played an instrument before, in, instrument before and you've done these weird things where – because it's weird. Like you build up the pressure in your mouth and, and you can – you blow on it in a particular way and you can you can put pressure on it, with it there's a lot going on it's got to fit your mouth the right way and and all those certain things and and then even the tube makes it different i mean i remember oh yeah i'm i'm interested in you know look elk bugling is one of the coolest sounds in nature and nothing, nothing wrong with a cow i mean they're cute and, and that's a good noise too but man a, a you know a lip balling you know high pitched bugle that ends with a you know, growl, you know, that is a, that is a prehistoric
1: crazy sound. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And
0: everybody wants, I want to be able to make it right. So I'll tell you what the, 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 the thing that transitioning from the cow call into that, um, into that bugle, my, my hardest part has been, um, getting that low tone in the beginning and then, even just getting comfortable putting my own inflection in at the end it's 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 the nuances at the end and the beginning of that that bugle that I've been 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 tough to get so it would seem though that and this is here's where my question to you is it would seem that the location bugle for us would be the most important bugle to get together because it's still early season there's still they're still working they're still working out where everybody is um, wh- as 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 a guy transitions from cow calling to maybe just getting that low level um, location bugle in uh, wh- what are some tips that you'd recommend in, in searching out some of those inflections and tones?
1: Well the, you know the bugling can kind of be hard to because you got there's like three or four tones that you're looking for in a in one single bugle you, you know you have that. Low to high, and then taper off, and then the Ooh, at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, really, you just have to listen to um, as many videos as you can. What I did when I was learning is there was no YouTube and there was none of that stuff. So, what I would do is I'd take my phone, Well, there was YouTube, and I'd want, but there was not, not very many b- videos on Elk Bugle. So, I would take my phone. And I would just record my bugles and then I would listen to Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation had one where it was like eight minutes long. And I just listened to that over and over. Mm-hmm. And then I would take my phone and then I would record myself and see how I sounded. Because what how I sound with my ears when I'm doing it is completely different than what comes out of my mouth, right? Sure. So I'd record everything and listen. And then the other thing I had was a a hoochie mama at that time came out and I just pushed the hoochie mama and then I'd cow call, hoochie mama, cow call, hoochie mama, then I'd use them read hoochie mama, then the read, Because I was trying to get those tones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because in a cow call it's, you, you know, you have your high and then your taper off. And so it's the same thing with bugling is that you have those tones and you have to get those tones right, I mean, elk will respond to you know off the wall bugles because not every elk sounds the same sure but to have a consistent return um call you have to learn those those movement those those inflections you know that. and i'll and i'll do a real quick one give me a second because i just put these things in my mouth i hear you what here i'll do a, a location I kind of went up high. That's one of them, and then another one is. Nice. So there's there's a couple different, in my opinion, there's a different couple different types of. Oh, back
0: back into the microphone, sir. You there? Yeah, no, I am. But you're um, I think you've gotten away from your microphone as you pulled out your tube there.
1: Oh. Now, here I am now. Can you hear me? Yeah, it's a
0: little soft. I
1: wonder what happened. How about now? Because my mouth is about on it.
0: There you go. You're good. I wonder, did you put the tube right on on the mic there, sir?
1: No, I went off to the right a little okay, bit, good. but probably not far enough. Yeah, I wonder if you, you scared the microphone a
0: little bit. <laughs> but uh <laughs> but
1: uh no, it it it's cool and and, and that's
0: that's that's where I'm at. I was tinkering with it last night, um playing with the kids. We were posting some videos and um uh so what I found is um again, trying to get that that, that beginning inflection is more of a kind of a clear your throat noise. Then you can get into your cow pitch real high, and then when you drop it off, it's kind of just like a big, a big aggressive release of air. Let me see if um I'll put myself out there. Uh, this, All right, this will be my first one. Uh, let me see if I can get it. So let me just do this. Um, let me just do the beginning noise where it's like um, that kind of clear your throat thing. what do we think we got we got we got some noises there that can yeah work?
1: that's good i think you just gotta um um less on the early part and then high pitch get that high pitch a little bit better and then the whoo at the end whoo i like doing the whoo we work it out. Yeah. I'm thinking of getting, to,
0: again, uh, tip of the, I, for some, uh, I've watched a bunch of videos. Dirk's videos are pretty cool because I like the, the analogies that he puts forth. You know, make noise like a mosquito, uh, clear your throat, uh, get punched in the gut. Like those are things that I yeah. can think of doing um, that get me to kind of, um, work work with it and, and also his videos are, are pretty short and sweet you guys should check out his series uh, but there, there's a bunch of good ones uh, the guys at Rocky Mountain Elk uh, bu- the bugle- Bugling Bull folks um, uh, you can look at look for them under both of their monikers because I guess they started Bugling Bull and then have transitioned to Rocky Mountain Elk calls but uh, uh, that's good stuff um,
1: yeah another one a good one to use in the early season that I found is, is, is just the grunt just doing just a grunt because they're basically hey show yourself. Drop a grunt on us. Let's hear it.
0: <coughs> nice. So what what is the key there to getting that grunt noise? Is that just the same as the end of the um just the end of the end of the location but just a little bit more um emphasis?
1: Yeah, the the grunt one is is a little bit harder because you got to get that high pitch and then you have to get that <sighs> Out, and that's that punch in the gut that um, Dirk talks about because you're and then you got to get the air back into your lungs quick enough so that's why I'm a, and I'll do it again
0: interesting So, so let's say this we've talked a little bit about calling whatever noise you're making let's say you're lucky enough you're out here on your early season hunt to um to get some sort of a response back from an elk um what's your game plan i've heard a couple of different things and, and a couple of things what guys want to do um but but in your experience what what works best once you do get a response and let's say it's a you know let's put ourselves in in a situation that we're hopefully going to be in when when you're in some you're in some thick stuff um you're, you're into maybe a roosevelt situation not not a not a Western uh, um, Rocky mountain situation. So you're, you're in some tight timber, you're in some thick brush, you finally get a response. Um, And it it seems like a bull that you want to go after. I mean, uh, I can remember at Turkey season when we got the response we wanted, there was a, there was definitely a different feeling in the afternoon where we sealed the deal versus the morning when we were kind of just chit chatting. Um, Yeah. So, so we got a guy who wants to play a little bit. You hear a noise. You got a call. Um, what's what's next? What's the, what's the step to seal the deal on this thing?
1: So the first thing you're going to do is okay. So how far away is he? Does is if he, is if he's you know does he sound a hundred yards away, three hundred yards away, four hundred yards away, anything over a hundred and fifty to two hundred yards? You think I close the distance and I try to close it fairly quickly. And, um, then you got to hunt, you know, the wind, you got to look at what you're going down. You have to, you know, be less quiet. Not, I mean, I'm not too quiet, but I don't want to be just like running down the hill to where I trip and fall and head over hills, but you want to close the distance, um, as quiet as possible. And then once you get close and it's been maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes, then you let out another location. Um, what, what I've noticed lately since the introduction of wolves is that they don't talk as much. And so they're not going to want to sit there and, um, bugle 500 times. And it's, there's wolves over in the St. Helens track now. I saw them two years ago. Mm. So they're going to pop off once and then you have to close distance, get down to them. You want to get within that hundred yard earshot and then, do another location, and when if once they respond, if they respond, then you cut them off, you know, with more kind of a lip balm or or even a grunt or something like that. And then if they don't respond, I'll wait a little bit and I'll just hang tight and I'll be looking around because they might be coming in quiet. But then I'll I'll wait a little bit and throw out a grunt hmm. to just say, hey, get over here. I want I want to see it. Show me. Right. So that's kind of what I do. And, and you always 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 have to hunt the wind on that and it uh, it changes because a lot of times what i'm finding is that these guys are you know more down by the creeks they're I, I don't know if they feel more protected down there i mean as far as where we're hunting they used to be more on the hillsides or random areas but now they're more concentrated on creek bottoms so um could be hunting pressure and stuff too but well, it's probably probably I mean it's 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 never one thing, right? So it's probably
0: a mix of whether it's predator pressure, hunting pressure, resources are there. You know, that it's just nasty ground for them to travel anyway. As well, I mean, they're big animals. It's hard for them to move around. So, you know, it's probably a good mix of all that, right? So, absolutely. um, But I imagine I'm I'm a little conflicted because you hear different things about how far away the animals actually can be sometimes. Um, is there, what have you noticed in terms of the density of the woods? Let's say you're in thick timber versus you're hearing the communication um, in a bit of a clear cut situation. Once you're in the thick of it, those rainforesty y drainage-y situations, um, How how far away do you think you can actually hear them
1: and they can actually hear you? Um, well, they could be up to a mile away. I mean, what did that bull last year, we were on top of the ridge and how far did we cover and finally got into him? It was over a half a mile. Yeah. Remember when we were up above him and then we cut down through the timber and then we got through the timber and then the clear cut and then he was still out there. And by the time we got to where he was, it was a half a mile, three quarters. And he sounded fairly close. Yeah. What I what I look at for, and everybody knows this in hunting camp, I have crappy ears so I can't hear worth a dang. So if I can hear that Ooh. at the end, I know he's within a hundred yards. I got gotcha. If I can't hear that, then he's usually outside of that hundred yards. And and you and you listen to see how prominent it is too, right? Because he could be all.
0: Eww.
1: Sure. So that's what I'm kind of listening to because that squeal can throw you off, and it depends on if he's looking downhill or or, or away from you, or and if he he's travel. looking at you and. And so that's kind of my little indication. And plus, sometimes you can actually really just feel it in your chest and your gut feeling just says, hey, he's that dude's close. Very cool. So closing ground
0: and get it. Is the is the setup different in thick Roosevelt country versus the, the, the Rocky Mountain, you know, open country setting where, you know, it would seem like the callers, the callers back you can set up. In, in a particular way and hope for you know the best situation but you know in our situation and when you're going after these these elk and in, in this thick timber you know your setup your setup options aren't as great um if you are in in that thick thicker roosevelt situation what have you found to be the most advantageous um regarding uh setups
1: Well, what I found is that, you know, everybody says the caller should be 7,500 yards or about 75 yards away that the bulls will hold up. On the Roosevelt side of the world, I try to stay within 50 yards of the shooter, and then I throw my calls behind me. I don't throw them at the elk. You know, a lot of people face their grunt tubes or their cow calls towards the bull. What I'll do is, like the cow calls, I'll just cover my mouth where the cow call kind of... Hit The noise will hit my hand and then deflect off of there and then go two different ways. They're all called behind me, and I'll go left, I'll go right. Sometimes I'll go forward, you know, maybe one out of the five. But um, I try to stay a little closer to the caller because those elk, Roosevelt elk in the country so much thicker that – your visibility is a little harder. So you're, you want to try to get them in as close to the hunter as possible. And if you're 75, hundred yards, that gives more room for them to walk around mm-hmm. and come in. So, you know, elk are pretty amazing. They, they hear that noise and they'll come to that exact spot wow. where they heard that noise. I mean, it's, they'll, they'll be within five yards. So they know where you're at when you're calling. So I just try to mix it up and throw it all over the place. And I use, you know, with a cow call, I can do, I don't know, several different kinds of cow call noises with the one reed just by, you know, adding a little bit of throatiness to it or um, manipulating my cheeks or the air and stuff like that.
0: Well, I'm hoping that, uh, hoping whoever's calling, um, However we're doing it, hoping that we can get a couple into our spot here um, when September rolls around. But for the time being, um, you know, it'll be fun to get out in the woods with the boys and, and tinker and practice. And I think this was a fun chat, you know, for folks who, you know, that entry-level conversation about just getting some ideas started. Um, I would say if you guys are interested in calling, um, I'll do like Dirk's series. It's a, it's a five-parter. All the videos are pretty short and pretty pretty understandable. There's also um, there's a cool app. Um that elk nut app where you can kind of download some stuff and and he gives you some tips and and you can roll through there uh, what's the gentleman's name that runs elknut
1: oh man i'm 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 really terrible at names let me pull, um let me pull let's see if I'm,
0: i i wanna'cause that's um that's that's a pretty good he it's paul he has a different go about where he legitimately is saying and believing that he knows what the elk are trying to communicate where you know guys like some guys like Phelps you know they they're they're not going to try to go as in depth about what the actual noises mean and why they're doing it, but um
1: uh. Yeah, Elknut, Elk he, he's pretty unbelievable, he, and he's fun to listen to, man. Yeah, well, he's, so, he's, he's, been, a hoot. he's been doing this for a long time. and uh, Yeah, his name is Paul. I just can't remember what his last name yeah, is. Yeah, so
0: check uh, Google Elknut. That's a decent app to go through, but there's a ton with it on YouTube if you're interested in calling. And honestly,
1: man, I mean, you
0: gave me a bugle tube last year. I've bought a couple of reads. It's fun to just have it around the house and the kids... Um, the kids, the kids like to make the noises and try and do it. And to be honest, even without a read, it's fun watching my kids just try and do it. And, um, without any instruction, um, they do a pretty decent job of making the noises. So it'll be fun to get the boys out there to, to practice some of that. But, um, Jeremy. And
1: and one, one advice I give everybody that, um, if, if you haven't had a chance to, figure out how to do the mouth read or, and that just get an external one read. They're a little easier to use. You should figure that one out within two weeks. And then if you don't have time for that, I mean, just get the hoochie mama and practice with it and, and figure the tones out on that. And if you're not calling with a mouth read this late in the game, then you're going to be, you know, you're going to be forced to use a hoochie mama or a, a bugle tube with the um with that external read on it but um mainly it's just figure out the tones well and just practice put yourself
0: out there it's 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 interesting to to actually do it um and it'll be it'll be fun you know it's just you get you got to do it you know you can watch youtube and you can get all the apps you want but you you have to just put the practice in and eventually you got to put your your lips to the tube and do the first one out in the field and hope for a response. So um,
1: get out and what there. you could do is just get the elk nut app. it'll loop it and then what you could do is you while you're driving down the road you just sit there and loop it and loop it and loop it and then you train your hearing on it and then you start trying it and then you and, and, and in your car, most cars have the capabilities where it'll play through your speakers so then you're able to um, just kind of dink around with it as you're driving to and fro at work. That's what I do when I'm headed to the airport and headed home no that's that's exactly what I do. I love to um
0: <laughs> I love to i keep it in the car and i I like to annoy the kids and the wife with it to be honest with you it's just fun to do you know what I mean so
1: yeah, I do it outside and just get my neighbors thinking what the hell's going on? It must be some kind of season because every year around this time he's out there doing that that's it that's the way to go <laughs> um so very cool so you know get
0: get your scout and go and look for them north face north um north-facing slopes um, try to find their water source and some nice benches you know it sounds easier said than done Um, if you can if you can get onto some transition spots that's nice and um, that'll be helpful but in terms of your calling um, start simple find a resource um, and and begin making noises I, I really like the the mouth read go about it just seems to make sense especially if you're going to be to be archery hunting plus it's a it's a fun and expensive thing to keep around the house to keep you busy. But uh, Jeremy, as we tie this episode up and consider our our, our, our last action review here, um, if there's some takeaways that folks need to get on to um, to help them get on to elk, um,
1: what do you think they might be? Well, just, you know, when you're e-scouting, look for that safe zone and try to be there at about 8, eight to 9 o'clock and um, wait for them to show up. The other thing is if, you know, when you're – when you are cow calling, make sure you have the tones right because if you don't have the tones right and you have a bull coming in and he's hot and he's bugling and, and you're spotting and stalking and you're getting up to him and then you do a cow call and you don't have those tones right, you'll blow them into the next county because mm. they're looking for specific tones. Okay. So just be be sure, you know, that... that be sure that you're 100% confident on your calling before you start calling, because I've seen it way too many times where guys will get out there and they've practiced and they practiced and then they get into action and they do the wrong tone and then you're the hunt's over. Mm, we don't want that to happen, so, sir. So make sure. You, I mean, you'll know you, you feel 100% confident in your calling. You still want to practice and try to do it, but if you have a hot bull and you hear them up on top of the ridge and you're not hundred percent on your calc i would just turn it into a spot and stock game but well there it is
0: we'll get it folks so there's all kinds of ways to do it we'll have a bunch of guys in camp we'll have a bunch of kids on the camp um before we get in elk camp but uh it's coming to that time of year where folks are putting their time in um if you think that we've uh, put our time in appropriately on this show, please let us know. Um, five-star reviews are awesome. We, we'd we welcome that. So get on there. Check out the website, backcountryandbarbells.com. But until the next one, I'm Joe Shimonic, The other guy's Jeremy Day. And we're just asking you guys to train, hunt, and live the best lives possible. Jeremy Day, thank you, sir, for another great, great conversation, buddy.
1: You're welcome, my friend. And God bless America, baby.
0: Get it, buddy. Hopefully you picked up some ticks, ticks, no ticks, tips, tricks, or tactics to get you ready for your next hunt or camping um, adventure with your little ones. While you're thinking about that trip, please think about going to our website, Backcountry and Barbells, and downloading the base camp program to get you ready for your next adventure or just to get you ready for um you know to get rid of that dad bod whatever you're looking for it'll help out but uh also pr lifting can get you ready for that with the gear in um the base camp program whether you need a kettlebell pull-up bar or super band or a jump rope maybe a slam ball um you can find it at pr lifting also guys our partners send a vet check them out if you got some spare time some spare change or you need help helping a combat warrior um With whatever they need help with, Um, Cinevet is the place to go. But until the next one, guys, train, hunt, and live the best life possible. Thank you very much.